Cody, sure appreciate that, and uh, it's a blessing. You know, some songs just strike more true uh, sometimes with the person that's singing it, and uh, just know a lot Brother Jody's been through even this year, and just knowing a life of a testimony of knowing how to go to the Lord and leave it there, and uh, very powerful. Thank you, Brother Jody, I sure appreciate that. And uh, so here this evening, uh, we're continuing on in our series uh, dealing with this idea of dollars and cents. So we've been dealing with uh, personal finance and God's Word and what it has to say about all of that. And so boys, go forth and prosper. Uh, and uh, if you're new on Sunday night, we, um, we do like super practical. Uh, Sunday night, I want something that you can take home, put in your pocket and use it on Monday morning. And so... Uh, this is uh, the, the desire and the heart that I have. So we usually have a little bit of a handout, uh, some notes that you can take, and a little bit more of a teaching, preaching type session uh, on Sunday nights. We usually have these on a handout stand out there where you can pick them up on the way in. But the boys have taken it upon themselves. This is their ministry. And so we, we let them have it as their ministry. Amen. And uh, they go forth and prosper. All right, 1 Timothy chapter 6 is where we're going to begin this evening. 1 Timothy and chapter number 6. We've been dealing with, um, again, personal finance, uh, but kind of, if you would say, laying more of an attitude before we get to the practical side of things. Uh, because I've learned uh, money has a lot less to do with a head knowledge and a lot more to do with heart behavior, Right? So most people get in financial trouble not because they didn't know, it's because they didn't behave right. And so if we can lay the groundwork of uh, God's heart about money, how we ought to approach that and look at money, we change our perspective about money, then when we get to the practical side of uh, spending and budgeting and investing and giving and, and uh, retirement and laying things up, that makes a lot more practical sense when we have a good biblical foundation. Okay? So that, that's been a lot of this uh, kind of beginning lessons is looking at money through a correct lens biblically. Okay? So um, anyways, First Timothy chapter number 6 uh, is where we're going to be at here this evening. If you found your place there and you're able to, let's stand together to honor the reading of God's Word. First Timothy chapter 6 and verse 6. Now I have just the one verse written down, but let's read all the way down through verse number 10. Just kind of get the full context here of this passage of Scripture. First Timothy chapter 6 and verse number 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. There's some emphasis placed there because he says it's not just gain, it's great gain. You know, sometimes we breeze over words like that where we ought not, but there's some significance to this. Paul says there's a, a great gain that's available if you would just learn this idea of contentment coupled with godliness. Okay? So then he goes on in verse number 7 and explains this a little further. He says, For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. That's where Paul drew the baseline. Food, clothing. That's all you need. Be happy with it. Verse number 9, But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. 
you would think the more people have, the more peace and contentment they would feel. But quite the opposite many times, many times the more things people have, the more stress and pressure where they feel like they're drowning. Okay. And so he says there's a danger of great riches. There's a temptation and a snare that's there. So he explains what that temptation and snare is in verse number 10. He says, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some have coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So here's this great danger that even as we talked about this morning, the pursuit of gold instead of God can create quite a bit of problems in a person's life. And so we're talking about this idea of contentment tonight. Being content with what God has provided with us. So may God bless the His word. You can be seated. And thank you for standing in honor of the scriptures here this evening. <clears throat> On March the 3rd, 1882, there was a man by the name of Carlos that was born into a family that had known wealth and they had been well-to-do, but had fallen upon hard times and were almost broke. So a wealthy family that was broke, Carlos was born into that family. Carlos only had $2.50 in his pocket and he went his way to the United States of America in 1903. $2.50 in his pocket. He quickly learned English. Over the next 16 years, Carlos would struggle financially, bouncing from one job to another. He adopted the name Charles, moving from Carlos to Charles, and ended up in prison for writing a fraudulent check. Determined to make his way in the world, Charles learned of a loophole in the IRC, Internal Reply Coupons at the time of the early 1900s. So what happened is postage could be purchased in another country and then redeemed for full postage in another country. So many of the European countries were struggling after World War I and their currency was worth far less than that of the U.S. dollar. So after expenses, Charles figured he could clear almost 400% with the exchange rate on the IRCs. He set up a business called Security Exchange Company and promised investors 50% return in 45 days and 100% return in 90 days. So the investments started slowly, but then over time they began to pour in as investors were indeed getting 50% and 100% returns on their money. Now, little known to the masses, Charles was borrowing from Peter to pay Paul. The payouts to initial investors were from the money that newly buying in investors were giving to him. In just a few months, he went from 5,000 invested a week to over 1 million a week in 1920. It's a lot of money. A, a ton of money. Uh, in today's money, about $13 million a week flowing into this guy for investments. <clears throat> Within just a few months, Charles had almost $1 million coming in per day. New offices shot up everywhere. 
Charles took ownership of the local bank in Boston, and over 75% of the police force was investing with him. Charles had investments coming in from paper boys to social elites alike. Before his first year was over, the entire scheme came falling down, though. Charles was tried federally and at the state level, was absolutely penniless, got deported, his wife divorced him, and he died with a tarnished name in, the state, in a state hospital in the country of Brazil. With no friends in this world. Anybody know what this charismatic man's name is, which is still so famous today? Charles Ponzi, the inventor of the Ponzi scheme. This pyramid scheme that he created of new investors paying the existing investors, obviously highly illegal then and still today, known now as a Ponzi scheme. Obviously, what would drive a man like this to do something so dishonest? Slimy, right? Greed. The, the want of more. That, that's the, the sole reason why you have a guy who says, I'm going to do all this illegal stuff and I'm going to get this money to give to this money and do all that he did was the desire for more, 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 more. But in the end, his sin found him out and was quite catastrophic. Now, just as a uh, quick review of we've been uh, so far, this is our third lesson. The first lesson we kind of talked about stewardship. Uh, everything comes from God, and everything belongs to God. So just kind of correcting some thinking, oftentimes in our mind we think, well, God gets the tenth part, the tithe, but the rest doesn't belong to Him. Well, scripturally, all, everything belongs to Him. It's all His, and we are simply stewards. So that simply means we ought to manage God's money the way He wants His man money managed. It, it changes your whole perspective about finances. It really does. Uh, last week we talked about the sluggard, an interesting character in the book of Proverbs. Uh, his favorite tool in life, of course, is the bed. He's like a hinge on its door post, you know, on the bed. He just swivels back and forth and back and forth, and he knows how to use it really well. And we talked all about the, the life of the sluggard and an encouragement, especially for a younger generation that has forgot the need of quality work and quantity work. Go get a job and make something of yourself. Don't be a sluggard, right? Go work. God created us to work and the blessing of work, okay? To him that's a thief, the Bible says, uh, go and steal no more, but rather labor with your hand the thing which is good that you may have to give to him that needeth, right? That's the, that's the whole perspective shift there again about the sluggard. So tonight we're going to talk about this idea of contentment, that God wants us to be content. So let's uh, talk about greed first off. The opposite of contentment is greed. So what is greed defined? So greed literally means this, always hungry for more. To define greed, here's what greed means. Always hungry for more. Never satisfied. Constantly looking for more. So that the motto of someone with greed uh, is simply this. <clears throat> just a little bit more. Of course, this is going to apply to many areas of life. Wealth, power, food, possessions, attention, gifts, more. Greed. 
I got this. I want more. I want more. I want more. Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Greed is an intense and selfish desire for something. It's ugly and oftentimes unquenchable. Notice that greed has little to do with the actions of man, but rather is a heart problem. Which again, remember we're talking about practical things later, later you know, head knowledge things, where this has to do with heart issue things. This area of greed really has to do with a self-centered, not satisfied with what God has provided attitude. Okay, That's ultimately where it drives from. Now, I do need to, from the, the beginning of this, say this. There's nothing wrong with money. Money, and I'll even say this, and wealth are not wrong. So if someone is extremely wealthy, that's not sinful, it's not wrong, it's not bad. Actually, I know some, some of the most wonderful, godly people that are just humble about it, they don't go showboating. Uh, God has blessed them tremendously financially, and, and, and they just have a right attitude about it, and they use it the right way, and there's nothing wrong with that. God, God is not against somebody having money and wealth. But you do need to understand the distinction that Scripture makes. The love of money is evil. Okay, there's nothing evil or wrong about money itself. It's amoral, simply meaning this, it's not right or wrong. The use of money can be right or wrong, but money itself has no morality to it. It can be used for great good, and it can be used for great evil. But money itself, when we have a love for it, the Bible says that is another thing altogether. It's very evil when our affection is set on money. Why? And we'll talk about it here in a moment. But when our heart is set on money, we'll never be satisfied. And that's the great danger of having that. He talks about being pierced through with many sorrows. So look at 1 Timothy 6.10 if you still have your Bible open. Or it'll be up here on the screen there. It says, For the love of money is the root of all evil. And then he explains kind of what that idea means. A lot of people talk, it's the root of all evil. Well, what does that mean? Well, the Scripture explains it here which while some coveted after, they lusted after the money, that's what their heart and affection was set on, they have erred from the faith and pierced them through, self through with many sorrows. So he says here, what evil comes about when there's a love of money, when our affection is set on it, what happens is, is we run in danger of drifting away from where God wants us to be and then having our life totally infiltrated with sorrows, pierced through with all kinds of sorrows. That's the great danger okay, of having a love of money. So let me give you a few examples of greed here. I don't know if you all remember the great toilet paper rush of 2020. <laughs> You'd like to not relive those days. Uh, I still remember we're at home and, and you know, we're like, we're down to one roll. There's a ration on this stuff, all right? And you go to the, uh, the store and you're like, oh, praise the Lord, there's a single package of the sandpaper style, but it's all there is, so we're going to use it, praise the Lord. And then come to find out, there were those who were literally stockpiling. Yes. If you be one of them, may God have mercy on your soul. <laughs> and they had stockpiled literally thousands of rolls of toilet paper and were hoarding it. And, and here's where the big danger came from. Some did it out of fear. That's one thing. But there were others that did it, and then were marking it up to outlandish prices. Greedy. That's exactly what, the, that's exactly what it was born out of. 
they would buy it at this ridiculous low price and be like, $100 for a package of toilet paper. You know you need it. And there were those who were, were doing that. And that wasn't just on that commodity. That was probably just the one that stuck out the most. But through the early days of COVID and the shortages that kind of came about from that, uh, people were being quite outlandish in how they were greedily taking advantage of people in need. Okay? Uh, just some other examples, maybe. Uh, dishonest banks that give people mortgages that they know they can't afford for the desire of higher interest rates and taking advantage of a foreclosure on them, you say banks would never do that. Anybody remember 2008? I mean, the greed that was there. I mean, the whole housing market pretty well collapsed because of that. And it was born out of greed of all that happened with the tranches and building forth these mortgage bonds. And, and there was greed, lending money to people that they knew couldn't afford it and give it back to them. Greed drove that. Dishonest credit card companies. Just a word of advice as we go through this, credit card companies are pretty slimy sometimes, and there's pretty high interest rates that are connected with those, and, and sometimes uh, payment dates change, and things change so that they can mess people up with interest rates, and no money down, and then jack up the price, and take advantage of those who are unsuspecting or not knowledgeable of that. And that is oftentimes born out of and driven by greed. What about companies that take government bailouts and then give multi-million bonuses to executives and corporations and things just born out of greed? Obviously, schemes to steal monies from investors, such as our friend Charles with his Ponzi scheme, born out of greed that they would do that. Maybe going on the different end of this, somebody who signs up for government assistance and then takes advantage of those things not needing it and then sells those off to somebody else. So that doesn't happen. Yeah, absolutely it does. People who work the system and take advantage of it and it's born out of, out of greed. Okay? And greed doesn't just have to be about money. Boy, I tell you what, sometimes you, know, you get a, a, somebody in the church gives the pastor and his family a plate of cookies. Mm, praise the Lord. What a blessing. Amen. And that goes on our countertop at home and I get one cookie, and the next day I show up, and they're all gone. And, and with, who ate all the cookies? And you start to do an inspection, and here's Maddie, little cookie monster with them all over her face. And that greedy little savage ate them all. Didn't save any for anyone else. Not sharing with everyone. It's just a form of greed, right? Of being greedy with that. <clears throat> so those are all examples. I think we have a good grasp of what greed looks like, Okay. Uh, so let's talk about this. Uh, sometimes we don't realize that we have greed in our life, but we really do live in a very prosperous time. So I want to talk about this. We are very blessed here in the United States. We have some wonderful privileges here in the United States today that maybe you just haven't even recognized. Uh, again, just laying this out there. Um, is there anyone here tonight? Let's just do this, maybe just by a show of hands. Uh, who in here is tonight, tonight has traveled to another country before. They've moved, we've gone out of the United States. Okay, a, a good host hand. Who has never traveled outside of the United States before? Okay, so we're maybe about a 50-50 split there. My eyes were totally blown wide open when I went to Africa. I, literally, people talk about kissing the ground when they get back here. There's little exaggeration in that. I landed on the plane. My dad goes, hey, I want to take you out to a restaurant. Where do you go? And I go, I don't care. I just want meat. 
was in Africa, there was very little meat. I mean, a lot of beans and rice and, you know, cornmeal stuff and, and bananas and things. You just have a lot of protein there. Boy, we went to a, a ribeye steak and laid it out there. You know, it was like 16 ounces. Praise the Lord, you know. We take some of those things for granted here of the wonderful blessings that we have here in the United States. Now, I understand that there are income variations right now in the United States, okay? We're not in like a, a socialist total economy as of yet, right? Uh, where everyone is making the exact same amount, okay? Uh, but I understand that there are some that are wealthy and some that are not wealthy and everywhere in between with that. But across the board, we are some of the most blessed people at any time in all of history. I'm not talking about in all of the world right now. I'm talking about at any time across the board in history, we are living in a prosperous time. Uh, think about this for just a second. Tonight, as you lay in your comfy bed with sheets and blankets in a room that's bigger than most people's houses in the world, in a house that is massive by global standards, the AC that will cool your house to the perfect temperature to your liking this evening you can turn on a light anytime you want and turn it back off again. You have indoor plumbing and hot water on demand. <laughs> Think about the blessings that we have. You could leave from the service here tonight and go to a supermarket and pick up almost any convenience you wanted. I mean, you might not have the money to pick it up, but if you could, literally you could run to Walmart in Decatur, Texas and pick up almost any You could go pick up a mango. A pineapple. I mean, come on now. Those aren't growing in the backyards of people in Bridgeport, Texas. We, we are tremendously blessed. Stuff that we have. I mean, just unbelievable. Okay. Compare these modern conveniences to 100 years ago here in America. Even just here in America, 100 years ago. Now go back to biblical times with Paul and Silas and... Timothy and some of these, have first, I mean, we are living in a not only prosperous day, but a prosperous nation. And we have so many blessings that we absolutely take for granted. Literally, the poorest among us are blessed by history standards. Tremendously blessed. The reality is, is that most of us have everything that we need. If you're honest with yourself, you could honestly say this, I have everything I need. I have food, I have clothing, I have a roof over my head. I, if I, Everything I need, I have it. Now here's the kicker. Most of us, in addition to everything we have that we need, most everyone is able to have a lot of what they want too. What a blessing that is. God has blessed us so much to give us all that. So the question then arises, why are people discontent? If God has given us everything we need and God has given us a lot of what we want, why are people so discontent and they don't have contentment in their life? Well, just approach this biblically and look at it. So greed is an interesting sin. The more you have, the more you want. So the way greed works is the more you get of stuff, the more insatiable your appetite it is for more. So literally it becomes a very dangerous sin where it's literally the more you get, the more greedy you become. So if I say it this way, the more blessings you have in your life, the more you feel like you have less blessings because you feel like there's more and more and more and more and you just constantly go after everything. 
Hey, uh, probably the parable of the rich fool illustrates this better than anything else in the Bible. Luke 12 gives this story for sake of time. We're not going to read it, but you can go there. There's some people that come to Jesus with a question about some inheritance. And Jesus talks to them about this idea of greed, of pursuit of earthly riches and the danger of it. And he says there was a man who had built these barns and had filled them with goods. And he says, what do, what do I do? I've got all this stuff. What do I need to do? And he goes, I'm going to tear down these barns and build bigger ones. And then he says, soul, take thine ease. You have much stuff laid up for many years. And God says, thou fool, thy soul is required of thee this night. Now, if you read that parable about the rich fool, you'll see some of the dangers of this thing of greed. So here, here's where it kind of boils down. This is such a key thought here about why people become discontent. If you read the story there in Luke 12, here's what starts to come out. People become discontent when life consists of the things they own. If you're reading the parable there, that's exactly what he says is happening with that rich man. He says his life has become all about what he, his stuff, that's his whole focus in his life, his life literally consists of the things that he owns. Now, here's what happens. If your life becomes all about money, and your life becomes all about the pursuit of what money can buy, you will find yourself discontent, not satisfied, and you will find yourself struggling with greed. That's where it comes from, is when your life begins to consist of things never satisfied. How is it that we live in the most prosperous nation that has ever existed in the history of the world, and yet there are so many people who are discontent. How is that even possible? Well, it is born out of a lot of people's life. It consists of their whole life is about what they own. Well, I don't have what they have. I don't have what they have. And they begin to look at other people and they're discontent with life. They'll always want something bigger, better, and shinier. Okay? So here's the dangers of greed. I'm going to burn through these here rather quickly, okay? Greed encourages wrong deeds. Greed encourages wrong deeds. Proverbs 1, 18 through 19 has some wonderful verses about all this. I'm just going to read verse number 19. It says this, So are the ways of everyone that is greedy of gain, which taketh away the life of the owner thereof. If you read all the verses leading up to that, it talks about all these dangers and pitfalls and snares. And he says, this is what happens to people that are greedy of gain. Okay, so there, there is this, there are wrong actions that happen. If someone becomes greedy of wanting more, they become much more susceptible to doing criminal things, to doing uh, uh, unequitable things, to doing things that are not nice to people, taking advantage of other people, they become very susceptible to wrong deeds. Uh, number two, <clears throat> greed is the opposite of what God has called us to be. Proverbs 21 and 26 says this, he coveteth greedily all the day long, but the righteous giveth and spareth not. God has called us to live a life of simplicity, of contentment, and of giving. Not living a life of greed and more and more and more and step over whoever we have to step to to get more. You see, they live in contrast one to the other. Uh, number C there, uh, greed tears families apart. Some of y'all maybe have even experienced this before. Somebody gets greedy and they take advantage of other family members and it causes big problems. Well, uh, it, it, it's tragic to me. Uh, what should be a time of wonderful blessing for families, they come to reading a will 
and instead of it being a blessing like the parents or bestower of the will mean it to be, it becomes a curse. It tears families apart because there are, there's one party or multiple parties that become greedy about the whole thing. So Proverbs 15, 27 says, He that is greedy of gain troubleth his own house, but he that hateth gifts shall live. Okay? Letter D there, those who are greedy will never be content. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This also is vanity. Here's the great danger, again, of greed. The more you get, the more you want. So you never catch it. Okay? If your love is money, then the more money you get, the more you think you need more of it. So it's just a, it never, it's a never-ending hole. You'll never be content with what you have. So what is the remedy for greed? I think this is where we start to work on this idea. How do I have contentment in my life? Okay? So I'll give you three things here that biblically help us remedy this aspect of greed and help us learn contentment. The first one is this, gratitude. Be thankful for what you already have instead of looking at what you don't have. <laughs> this will go a long way, okay? Um, <clears throat> when's the last time you just looked at the house you're living in and you go, wow, God blessed me with this house? Amen. Instead of looking at the bigger house and, wow, I wish I lived in that house. Um, again, I, I need to preface some of this by saying there's nothing wrong with uh, desiring a new car or a new house or wanting to move up. There, there's nothing wrong with that, but be careful where your affection is. If that wraps up your whole identity and that becomes your whole life is that, then your heart has been set on things instead of on the Lord. Yeah. And when your heart is set on things, you're going to get that thing and then not be satisfied with it. Constantly be looking for something else. If you think, well, if I could just have that car, or if I could just have that house, or if I could just have this, then I would be content. You're lying to yourself. Right. Learn to be content with what you already have, and then when God blesses you with something else, you can be content with that. Amen. If you can't learn contentment now, you're going to struggle with it down the road. There's nothing wrong with dreaming. There is something wrong with covetousness. Yeah. Covetousness is saying, I want what they have. Okay? There's nothing wrong with saying, I would like a house like that. I would like a car like that. I would love to be able to do that one day and go on those vacations. There's something other wrong when you go, wow, I wish I had their life. I wish I had their house. That's covetousness, desiring what belongs to somebody else. Okay? So be grateful for what you already have. Let me give you a couple verses here. Ephesians 5, 3 and 4 says, But fornication and all uncleanness and covetousness... Let it not be once named among you as become a saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. He lists a whole big thing of sins there, but he also mentions covetousness, the desire for what belongs to someone else. And he says, instead of doing that, just be thankful for what you got. Give thanks. Matthew 6.33 says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. All these things will be added unto you. What did he just get done talking about? Studying Matthew 6, he talked about food, raiment, housing. Right? Those are the things that he talks about, the necessities of life. And he says, if you'll find completeness and contentment in Christ, God will take care of your needs. Just don't worry about those things. It might not be everything you want, but God will take care of you in your needs. Uh, number two here, contentment. <clears throat> Gratitude. Second thing is contentment. Let me give you a couple thoughts on this. Um, the verse that we read as we started this, I wish we had time just to dive into all of it. But 1 Timothy 6, 6-10, we already read it. But here's what Paul kind of drew the line at. Food and clothing is sufficient. 
If you got food and clothing, consider yourself wealthy. Be content with that. God gave it to you, right? What a blessing that God provided those things to you. Be content with the necessities of life. God's given you uh, health. He's given you a house. He's given you food. He's given you clothing. Be happy with that, right? Be content with it. Contentment brings gain because we learn to appreciate what we have. Here's the thing. When we start to have this attitude of lusting for more and more stuff, um, we're never satisfied because you get more and you want more and you want more, you need more. You, it keeps growing. But the opposite happens with contentment. If we're learned to be satisfied with what we have, then there's great gain. Y your stuff doesn't increase, but you learn to be so thankful and appreciative for what you have, not for what you don't have. So it's like you just won the lottery. You got great gain now. Okay, so that it's a perspective change on this idea of contentment. Number two there with contentment. Contentment is a learned character trait. Contentment is a learned character trait. Uh, Philippians 4, 11 through 13 talks about this. He, Paul says, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. He goes on, he says, I know how to be abound. I know how to abase. And the verse that gets taken out of context so often, Paul says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. That verse is directly in conjunction and connection with this idea of contentment. You know what you can do through Christ? You can be content. <laughs> I can't do that. God can give you the strength and the wherewithal to do that. You can be richly blessed of God and you can be abased. And God can give you the grace to handle both of them. But here's the thing. It's a learned trait. It's something that we need to take and we need to learn and we need to work on it to apply it to our life. Okay? And then the third thing here, contentment is ultimately faith in God. Okay, Hebrews 13.5 says this, Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Well, contentment then is directly tied to this. I'll be content with what God has provided because I know this, he won't leave me. He will not forsake me. So contentment becomes a big connection with this idea of faith. The third thing then has to do with this. I've already mentioned contentment. I've already mentioned giving thanks and being, have gratitude. The third thing is this, giving. <laughs> uh, Proverbs 23, 4 says, Labor not to be rich, cease from thine own wisdom. Ephesians 4, 28 says, Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor working with his hand <clears throat> the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. So here's the thing. Something that will help us from being greedy and full of covetousness is learning biblical principles of giving. Okay. When we learn how to give right, okay, we know how to tithe and then give, we do that in the right way, it really helps us be content. It's a big motivator in that way. So let me give you some practical application for your personal life. Three things here. We've already gone over these, but just kind of a, a checklist of things to address. First one is this. Greed is a very dangerous trap. Don't fall prey to it. If you found yourself and you're constantly lusting after more, different, better, bigger, shinier, uh, catch yourself and say, greed is not okay. Because as soon as I get the bigger, better, shinier, newer, it will not satisfy. And I'll want bigger, better, shinier. Okay? It's a dangerous trap to fall into, so beware of greed. Second thing is this. <clears throat> Recognize how truly blessed you are. Take a moment and thank God for all you currently have. Well, this is a good practice. Just take a moment. Even this evening at the altar or when you go home and just say this, God, thank you for what I got because I have so many good things in my life. I've got this, I've got this, I've got this. Take, honestly, even maybe you write them down 
and write down all the things and say, wow, I truly really am blessed and I didn't, I'm t- I've taken all this for granted. Okay, if you compare yourself with someone else, you can find something that they have that you don't and you can be all grumpy about it. But if you can start comparing yourself to somebody who lived 100, 500, 1,000 years ago or some other country in the world, you'd go this, wow, I'm blessed. I am so tremendously blessed. Okay, just perspective shift on that. And the third thing is this, learn contentment by giving thanks and learning to give. Okay, contentment, giving of thanks, and giving are all remedies to greed, and they help us learn that trait, that character trait of contentment. Let's all stand together as we come to a time of invitation here tonight. I pray that the Lord spoke to your heart about this idea of being content.